I was a school teacher for eight years at a particular school where I ministered. It was a private school, it was a Christian school. <clears throat> I taught a variety of grades over the years, and uh, one of the things in the elementary portion of the school that uh, our principal in the school and the philosophy was very um, adamant about was that we had a connection and relationship with the students that we taught. We weren't just teaching curriculum, but we were teaching students. And also their parents. And so one of the ways we tried to accomplish that was uh, certainly through our parent-teacher conferences every quarter and then a special parent day. But also we were expected to visit in the homes of, of, of each uh, student that we had over the course of the school year. And then to make contact with the parents as they picked up their child at the end of each day. And, um, and, and there are many stories I could tell that would certainly make you smile and, and other stories that I could tell that uh, would make you say, I'm glad I wasn't a school teacher uh, here. But I always told the kids, um, if you don't believe, I told their parents, if you don't believe everything they tell me about me, then I won't believe everything they tell me about you because there are quite some stories that would, uh, that would be uh, shared here, what was going on in homes. Um, uh, and when, when we would uh, visit in the homes of the students, it was always funny to me to have a student that you had in your class and see his idiosyncrasies and the different things he did. Maybe he was picking his nose while he was supposed to be doing math, or maybe he was uh, uh, working on something else, or maybe he had a short attention span, or, or maybe she was uh, obsessed with certain things, and, 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 and then to go in their homes and see little shades of mom and dad, uh, actually little shades of the kids in their moms and dads, and thinking, these are just big kids sitting on the couch I'm talking to. This is Junior, he's just 20 years older. Um, uh, but uh, uh, at, the end of the, uh, at the end of the school day, um, we were supposed to uh, and, and encouraged to communicate with the, with the parents and tell them how, how uh, their, their child did during the school um, day, uh, maybe some things that they could use some help on, some behavioral things that could use a little attention, uh, and some of the good things that they accomplished. And so as we would usher the kid to their, to their car when the parents picked them up, um, that was um, uh, a, part of our, um, uh, a part of our school. There and so uh, many times I have, would have moms who would ask, "Well, how did Junior do today? Uh, how did he do in his math facts? Or, or how did he do sitting? Uh, uh, how did he get along with uh, with Bobby over there again? Um, uh, is he is he leaving Elizabeth alone? Uh, and and a, a variety of conversations. And uh, if you're in the role of parent or have been in the role of parent at some time in your life, you also know the griefs and joys of being a parent. Uh, the griefs of when uh, your children do not uh, act as though, they, as though you know they can. Um, the, the griefs of uh, unfulfilled expectations. Um, you also know the joys, especially moms, when you see your children uh, reaching goals. When you see them making right choices and right decisions. When they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And they have an interest in the Word of God and it's growing. And then you have the things where you seem to be setbacks in their lives, right? The things that cause you to uh, and worry and labor about. And then as they get older, right, these things just seem to uh, be a difference, have, have a different stake to them. Uh, they're a little bit more weighty, a little bit more heavy, the griefs and joys. In Scripture, uh, we have in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, the same idea, the same idea. 
of fathers and children here. Of uh, people entrusted uh, over the stewardship and care of other people. Brooklyn read this morning, our home is like a little church. And in essence it is. Maybe that's a little too, too simplistic. But in essence it is. Because God intended each father to be like the priest for his home. And moms to be a support in that. And to, and to train their children up in the ways of God. In Hebrews 13.17 we're told two relationships here that should work together. The writer of Hebrews says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Who watches for your souls? Well, those that have the rule over you, those who you are to obey, those are who you are to submit yourselves, and they have they watch over your, over their souls, not without accountability, but it says, as they that must give an account, that they must give account of your soul. And the purpose of, of, of this is that they are able to say to the Lord uh, uh, a report that is a joyful report. And so just like at the end of each school day, it was a wonderful thing for a parent to hear a good report of little Max or little Sandy. And it wasn't such a good, re- good thing for them to hear a report. Well, I've got to be honest with you, today just was not a good day. And um, some things that uh, that um, Max really needs some work on here. And uh, well, we're not talking here in Hebrews thirteen seventeen about abilities. We're talking about our responsibilities. There is no such thing in the New Testament that I find or read of an obedient Christian who has not been baptized and committed themselves to a local church, and placed themselves in obedience and submission to its leaders. In fact, it's assumed here in verse 17, isn't it? That these are people who have been saved and baptized, and have committed themselves to a, a local body, and have placed themselves in obedience and submission to its leaders. And the reason that this is situated in the book of Hebrews, where it is, is because the book of Hebrews has had a theme of a persevering, genuine, continuing, ongoing faith that keeps looking to Christ, just as they did at one point in time, and continues in that. And our text tells us that in our journey of our walk with Christ, and in our journey... Of, of uh, to the end of persevering in our faith, that a real faith uh, is bolstered by some people in the church who are influential people. He describes them in verse 17 as those who have the rule over you and those that must watch for your souls and those that must give account for you. That's how he describes them. Influential people, these are people who are in a recognizable category, and from this passage, we can simply call them soul watchers. They are people who are known and identified by the congregation, by the assembly, and they are over the assembly, and the Bible calls them elders. The Bible in the New Testament calls them bishops, which means overseers. And they're also called shepherds. And they're all three titles for the same idea here, that God has given us what we have called in our vernacular, pastors. And so this verse, Hebrews 13, 17, answers a question, answers actually three questions here. First of all, who has God given you to assist you in your journey to eternity? 
Who has He given you in your journey to assist you into eternity? And the answer is found here in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, as I've already, uh, as I've already shared. Make sure I'm all... And the first point of our message this morning is very simply, God has given you soul watchers on your journey to heaven. Those who are these type of leaders, I mentioned these are people who are known and identified. It's not, this isn't everybody. These are people who oversee the church, pastors, elders, overseers, shepherds. Those who are these leaders... And are to watch for the souls of the sheep so that they continue after their profession of faith. They continue after their baptism. They place themselves under the care of these leaders through church membership. They grow to maturity. That's why God has given these leaders. They keep following Jesus. They don't fall away. They persevere to, the, to as he says in chapter 10 and verse 39, to the saving of their souls. Listen how he's put this. He says in chapter 10.39, But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition or unto damnation, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. That this walk and this profession continues. God has given people to help cultivate and nurture this. Because there's a problem in each one of us. There's a deceitfulness of sin that the writer talks about in Hebrews chapter 13 that can sneak in, that can harden the heart. That could turn someone away from following Jesus. Or, as Jesus uh, talks about with the parables of the soils and the seeds here, He talks about a, 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 a tr- the facing adversity and difficulties of life. And people might be tempted to turn away after that seed is planted and go out from that pressure. Or, we saw this in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 9, Be not carried about with diverse... or or different and strange doctrines. There might be wrong doctrines that could that could uh, uh, people could listen to and turn away from following Christ. Or they might be so distracted by the world and its values and slip away from turning and turning away from what they have professed as faith in Christ. So the whole point of these leaders that are mentioned in verse seventeen is to help you on your walk with Christ. <coughs> It's very important to be about to be busy about the birth of new sheep in evangelism and see them come to the shepherd's fold. But it's not enough. This passage tells us uh, to be just a, just about the birth of sheep, but their continued nourishment, their attentiveness to the to the to the chief shepherd. In First Timothy chapter four and verse sixteen, Paul tells uh, Timothy in this in this pastoral training manual. He says, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. In other words, he's saying, unpack the word of God for the sheep. God has given you soul watchers on your journey to heaven, and one of the ways they help you on your journey to heaven is by teaching you what God says in His word. So the whole point of these leaders is to help you on your walk with Christ. 
In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7, he says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And in the verb tenses in that, he's talking about leaders that they had before, who are now gone. Probably have passed from the scene. Probably have passed into eternity. And he says, remember those that had the rule over you. Those leaders who have spoken unto you the word of God. And he says, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation, the end of their life. And what he's telling them is this. He's saying, this is how leaders watch for souls. They teach the word of God. They pattern their own lives after the word as an example for others to follow. And they keep attention to sheep's needs that the word of God addresses, whether those sheep see it or not. Remember those that ruled over you, have spoken to you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation, consider the reward that they receive. So this verse, Hebrews 13, 17, answers the question, who has God given you to assist in the journey? And the answer is, first of all, He's given you soul watchers, pastors, elders, uh, shepherds, overseers, however, whatever term you want to use here, on your journey to heaven. So they're not enemies of you. They are, they are not uh, uh, obstacles in your way. They are to help you on your journey to heaven. And that is why at a funeral, or one of God's beloved sheep, it is sad, and it is hard, and it is a time of grieving. But if it is a person who has been under the care of that pastor, who walked faithfully and graduated to their eternal home, it is a joy to say, that sheep made it all the way home. That sheep finished the course. And I can give an account to God of that sheep and do it with joy and not with grief. God has given you soul watchers on your journey to heaven. There's another question here that this answers. <clears throat> what does God expect elders to do when it is all said and done? What does God expect these soul watchers to do when it is all said and done? And the answer is, God expects soul watchers, pastors, elders, however you want to phrase it, He expects soul watchers to tell Him how you obeyed Him. Think about the weight of that statement, okay? God expects soul watchers to tell him how you obeyed him. Look at the verse. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account. Give account of what? That they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So the idea here is that they are giving account for your soul. That leaders are entrusted with the stewardship of the flock. He, Acts 20 and uh, verse 28, Paul tells the Ephesian elders, he, he tells them to keep watch over the flock of God, who the Holy Spirit has made you the overseers of. That's pretty powerful. Because Paul talks about elders and bishops, overseers in 1 Timothy 3, and he said, if any man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. So there can be a desire for this office. But on the, same, uh, on, on the other hand, there's also a holy calling. A holy calling by the Holy Spirit. So leaders are entrusted with a stewardship over the flock. In fact, they're called stewards. In Ephesians 4, when God gives gifts to the church, uh, He has given, uh, uh, and in that line, He has given pastor-teachers. 
to equip the church. In other words, it is a gift from God to the church because they are soul watchers helping you on your journey to heaven. And they are, their responsibility is to tell him how you obeyed. You see, picking a pastor is not like picking a politician. That's a pretty good thing, by the way. Because we are ultimately accountable to God, not our feelings. Uh, and there will be an evaluation day one day. And this passage here gives us a really big picture because it tells us that God is taking note. God is taking note. This is the big picture. And so when we understand everything we do as a church, this needs to be a really big part of it here. A lot of times we, we tend to spend energy and, and time arguing or worrying about little things, but this is the big picture here. God has given soul watchers for your walk because they will give an account for you. They will tell Him how you obeyed Him. In other words, this verse here tells us that you are to live for eternity. And soul watchers are to be a part of that. Living for eternity. This is why there is an accounting for souls. And so leadership in the local church doesn't merely operate from a, from a horizontal, this world view, does it? It operates from an eternal mindset. An eternal mindset. What matters to God? What matters to God? You think of all the words that have ever been spilled in business meetings. And all the things that have been discussed in business meetings, and, and have you ever thought how much of it really is about eternal things and matters for the things that, that counts toward the things that the whole church exists for, right? purpose of it. And I understand there's times and place for these other things. But the big picture here is that in that great day, when the books are open, your pastors will have to give an account. One thing is certain. These ministers of God, gospel ministers, knew that in the end, they are not ultimately answerable to church members for their leadership. They are ultimately answerable to the Lord. Because we're dealing with eternal issues. And if we're dealing with eternal issues, there are eternal consequences, aren't there? So that's the second question this answers. What have they been assigned to do? Well, God expects soul watchers to tell him how you obeyed him, how you followed him. How do we know that? Well, verse 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you. And if soul watchers are to assist you in your journey to heaven, heaven, then that makes sense now. They're telling you about your journey to heaven and how you are to live and how where your thinking is to be ordered and how you are to uh, uh, prioritize um, from God's big picture here your lives and the things you live for. But there's a third question. If this is true, is there a way that your soul watcher can do this with joy? And the answer is yes. Yes. And the third point is this, that God allows you to write the report that your soul watchers will give. Because it is your life. 
In other words, how are the members expected to react to this kind of leadership here? Well, Scripture tells us in verse 17, obedience, responsive obedience, uh, submitting yourself, respectful submission, and there's this idea of loving cooperation together. And we're all together in this. First of all, he says, obey them. Obey them. That's the idea here. Of if the teaching ministry that is delivered by the soul watchers to you, whether on a one-to-one basis, a small group basis, or here in a very large group basis here, if that is delivered to you, it is of very limited value if you merely listen to the words but do not practice it. That would be not a way you contribute to a report of joy that will happen. There is repeated emphasis throughout this letter on the necessity of obedience to the revealed word of God. And the writer here is not saying you need to exercise blind, unthinking obedience to everything that comes out of the mouth of this man. He's not saying that. Rather, he is, otherwise there would be no warnings like um, verse 9, be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, right? Rather, he is saying that discernment is necessary, but obedience to the revealed word of God is essential in your life. Responsive obedience. The other thing is submission. He says, and submit yourselves. Submit yourselves. Um, that's the idea of, of a cooperation. If obedience applies more to the teaching, then submission uh, 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 is about the function. Why is why has God appointed leaders? Well, so we follow, right? Uh, in your homes, and a home is a very good picture of a church, as was read this morning. Um, fathers uh, have a place of, of leadership over their homes. That's the design. A place of leadership over their homes. And the point of that leadership is so the home functions according to God's designs and purposes. Now, that father is not in step with the Lord. It, it, it becomes very difficult, doesn't it? And, and the wives uh, and mothers are, are to be in conjunction with that and work along with that. And the children are, are told to obey and submit themselves to their parents. Why? So the glory of God is seen in a home. And just as the New Testament does not encourage undiscerning obedience, neither does it teach unintelligent submission. And what I mean by that is this. There are movements... Uh, shepherding movements where uh, a, an elder has to be consulted before every single per, major purchase that you might make. Uh, or, or opportunities of, of, uh, of, of um, uh, other responsibilities, etc. here. And, and I think there is a spirit of that in the New Testament, but I don't think that this is necessarily what we're talking about here, about the obedience and submission here. Uh, uh, like a, a megalomania here, right? You know, just control feet, telling you every single thing you need to do in your life. That's, that's not the picture here. In fact, First Peter 5, uh, an apostle and fellow elder, Peter says this, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, or not for just 
for money, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples of the flock. And there's a difference between firm and kind leading and micromanaging, isn't there? And that's not what he's talking about. But he's talking about respectful submission. The New Testament talks about mutual submission, realizing your place. Realizing your place. You are not accountable to God for this congregation ultimately. You are more accountable, by the way, for each other than you think, than you might think you are. That's why there's all the one another's commands in our in our in our scripture. But you will not give an account of this congregation before God one day. But your pastor will, and other elders that God will raise up uh, will as well. And so the New Testament talks about mutual submission. And he's not describing the office of, a, of these soul watchers as a dictator, but a shepherd is better picture, isn't it? And then thirdly, out of this report that your soul watchers will give, a response of obedience is needed, a respectful submission, but also a loving cooperation, a loving cooperation. You know what it's like? Maybe some of you experience this in your own homes or growing up or even in your own marriages when dad and mom are not on the same page. Um, the difficulties that does in the home. And there might come a time when because of the appointed role of husbands, as husbands will give an account for their families, I believe, that the husband needs to say, I'm accountable to God and this is, this is really what we need to do. In other words, it's possible in this church that the writer of Hebrews is talking about that there had been a lack of obedience and submission in that church. Because the writer urges these members to respond eagerly to their leaders so they would derive pleasure from ministry and not grief. The word there at the end, grief, is a word that's used in other places of groaning. In fact, it's used of the Holy Spirit in Romans 8 of his deep groaning and creation groaning. Uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's the idea that as spiritual leaders have to fight everything and there's not a loving cooperation and, and you have to labor under grim and hostile conditions in the local church, then that does not work for your advantage. That does not work for your good. And the reason it does not work for your good is if there is a just constant resistance and not a loving cooperation the Bible at the end of verse 17 says that is unprofitable for you in the report. But the good news is this. God allows you to work in loving cooperation, responsive obedience, respectful submission, so that there is a good report that is written. And it is not declared in this passage, but it kind of leaves it open to this idea that at the judgment seat of Christ, where God judges believers, this has to factor into that day and impacts your rewards. Your rewards. If you've done children's ministry and like I was referring to with my experience in children's ministry, but also as a school teacher, it is a great thing to be able to tell 
parent, you know what? They really labored hard. They, re- they didn't eat their glue today. <laughs> they weren't chewing on their Korans. Their pencil is still whole and not snapped in half and the eraser bitten off. No, they, 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 they really worked at being kind to Judy today. Judy was a little pain, but they really worked hard in their responses. Um, there, is, there is a joy that comes to, to a parent's heart to hear um, uh, their, their children um, doing their will. Doing the will of the parent. How much more does it delight the heart of God to hear reports from the soul watchers of his children who are doing well? Who are not perfect, but are doing well. And I'm not making a sermon of, you know, do good, be better kind of a per, kind of, kind of thing here. What I'm talking about is how joyful it is for a soul watcher to tell the Lord, so-and-so really is struggling with this, but by God's power and by His grace and by His might, they are seeing small victories. They are seeing progression. Because they realized it wasn't in their own strength. But they surrendered some things to the Lord. And they are pursuing wholeheartedly after you, Lord. That's what I would like my pastors to be able to say when I think about my life growing up. And the good news is here, there's still time to be, there's still time for this report to be written. It's not finished yet. So I don't know where you are, and maybe your resistance to the Word of God and the shepherd's ways for you, and I'm talking about the great shepherd's ways for you. But folks, God because of Christ, gives us fresh grace, doesn't He? And maybe you have not been a person who has wholeheartedly followed the Lord, who has not taken up your cross and followed Him. But I want to tell you that right this very instant, God offers fresh grace. And His mercies are new every morning. And so you do not have to dwell on the past, but you can, as Paul said, I press toward the mark. Not as though I've already attained, and not looking back to to where I was, but to where I am now with Jesus, I'm pressing on. And so the admonition of this text this morning is to have you consider your own hearts and say, Lord, search my heart and know me. Am I fully and wholeheartedly pursuing your plan for my life as revealed in your word? Are there areas of my life that I know need to be surrendered and, 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 and parts of Christ that I have not put on so that there will be a good report of me? What are the things in my life that by Your grace and through the power of Jesus and the Gospel that need to be changed about me as I'm in this, 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 um, this process of transformation? What are the declarations of Scripture over me and my identity of Christ that I am refusing to believe, that I need to take by faith and go on from? What am I really loving? What am I pursuing? What's important to me in my thoughts? And what's important to me in my pursuits of, uh, uh, and my finances? What do I spend my money on? What, do I, what am I thinking about? Is it, is it ultimately for the kingdom of God? Or is it for the shallow kingdom of man? And because of this third truth, God, because of His grace and the person of Jesus Christ and His work at the cross to forgive your sins, 
allows you to repent and by His power go on. So that Hebrews 13.17 says that your soul watchers can give an account of you with joy and not with grief. There are certainly folks that we can remember through our years of being involved in God's church who walked away from the scriptures. Who will not have a good report given of their lives in the last day. What will be said at the end of your life? What a joy it would be to be able to say, here's the report of so-and-so, Lord, and I'm giving this report in joy and not with grief. That's why God's given you soul watchers. He's given you soul watchers. He allows you to write that report that will be given by His grace and by His power because He expects soul watchers to tell Him how you obeyed Him, how you walked with Him. Because He has given you soul watchers to help you on your journey to heaven. So in Hebrews 13, 17, we have a relationship that with working together accomplishes great good for God's glory. Let's pray.